Welcome to A Walk In My Stilettos, where our goal is to help you walk in your greatness. I'm your host, Makini Smith. The purpose of this show is to inspire you to walk in your greatness. We have conversations with amazing women that are letting us take a walk in their stilettos so that we can continue to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. Today's guest, we have Emily Lyons. She is the founder and CEO of North America's top event staffing agency, Femme Fatale. She's a founder of Jewels, selling watches to raise funds for cystic fibrosis. She's the owner of a cosmetics company called True Glue and runs a dating agency called Lions Elite. Her hustling has won over big names like Warner Brothers, Maxim, Justin Bieber, Drake, Lamborghini, and her inspiring story was recently featured in Forbes. So please welcome to the show, Emily Lyons. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for coming on and letting us take a walk in in, in your shoes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, I I love to start the show by asking a simple question because I mean, as as women, especially women today who are wearing so many hats and doing so many amazing things, we have all these titles that we go by, but I feel that it's very important to recognize a title that we are called many times a day, which is our name. So do you know, mm-hmm. Emily, what your name means? No, I don't. Oh, okay. Well, uh, let's see what Google says. <laughs> um, I Google know that my dad to... chose it because of a Simon and Garfunkel song. Oh, okay. Yeah, back in... Uh... I think in the 80s, there was a song called For Emily, Wherever I May Find Her. And they loved the song. So that's where he got the name. So there's a sentimental meaning there for him. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, according to Google, the name Emily, it's industrious, you're a flatterer, or to strive. Hmm. Sounds about right. It's an English name derived from a Latin origin. Oh, very nice. <laughs> okay, so let's get right in. So I, I read that you had dropped out of school at 16. So how did you manage to turn that into being a you know multimillionaire who runs four companies? So after I dropped out of school, I was pretty lost. Um, I didn't really know where I wanted to go or what I wanted to do from there. I had an opportunity to be a nanny in Australia, so I took that and I uh, moved to Australia. I was almost 18 by this point. Before that, I had just been working a ton of part-time jobs. I was a cleaner, worked in a retail store. I was a barista. I I had three jobs all the time. So I moved to Australia Mm -hmm. where I was a nanny for um, several years, and I cleaned as well on the side. And um, I was pretty homesick, so I came. I ended up coming back for a visit, and kept extending my return back to Australia. And eventually, I just decided, you know what, I'm going to stay here. So first, I moved to Ottawa, and then I contemplated going to school there as a mature student and doing the entry level testing. Uh, but then I just I decided to come to Toronto. So randomly, my sister used to buy me books off of Amazon. Mm-hmm. and she would have them delivered to my house and um, she would nag me to read them. So she had gotten me this one book called Career Renegade, How to Make a Great Living Doing What You Love. And she had it sent to me and she asked, you know, have you read it? Have you read it? And so I said, I'll read the first chapter and if it's good, I'll keep reading it. So I read it and, it, and it's a true story about this man and he had taken different aspects of his life and turned them into huge companies. So different aspects of things that he loved. So he loved yoga and he ended up opening a chain of yoga studios mm. and all different things in his personality that had nothing to do with one another, but they fulfilled him and they made him so happy. And at the time I was, I was young, I was in my early twenties and I worked as a promotional model. And I thought it was the best thing ever. <laughs> so I would, I would uh, represent brands that I loved or I would go to restaurants and they would just pay you to eat dinner there or socialize. And I was super social. And so I thought, I'll start a promotional company. 
So mm-hmm. I spoke with uh, one of the clients that I worked for and he owns some restaurants and he told me, you know, don't do it. It's super competitive. There's a lot of promotional agencies. Um, it's not worth it. But I'd already had this idea in my mind. And so I just, I went for it. And so I kind of read what I could to figure out the initial setup. So I, I, I was broke at the time. So <laughs> I took the little money I had and I registered the company. And I remember I was walking down Bloor Street trying to think of a name for it. And somebody had was wearing a shirt that said Femme Fatale on it. And it really stuck out to me because I thought, you know, a strong, dangerous woman. Mm. And I thought, I'll call it Femme Fatale Media. So I went home, I registered the name, and um, I just, I started using social media. I found a free marketing, email marketing online, and I created, a, you know, a basic flyer. And I, I collected all the emails for all the nightclubs and all the restaurants in the in the city. And I said, you know, new promotional agency, hire your models, your brand ambassadors, any type of event staff that you might need. And I didn't really hear back. And so I just kept following up. And then eventually we got the first one. And it was a bit of a disaster. It was a lot of learning. <laughs> but just, you know, everything went wrong. But then eventually I was able to get another booking and another booking. And then when I would get a booking, I would go to every single one. Either I would work it with the team because I had mm-hmm. to make my end meet at the time. Or I would go there and I would just chat to everybody there and hand out these terrible business cards that I had at the time. <laughs> and uh, I, from there, I made other connections and I made friends. And I made friends with this guy, Pat, and uh, we actually had some mutual connections. And so he offered to build me a website. He was an amazing designer. First, he quoted me at, I think, $2,000. Oh. And I remember thinking, like, oh, my God, I can never afford that. <laughs> So I said, um, I'm going to think about it. And then he, he he could tell that I was like blown away. So he said, you know what? You're really nice. I'll make it for you for free. Just, oh, wow. you know, if I ever, if I ask you thing for me or send something out to your network, if you could do that for me, because mm-hmm. he's a big web guy. And so he built it for me. And that was the first step. So from there, I started to look at uh, search engine optimization and really how to show up in the rankings so that when people Googled um, hiring event staff, hiring trade show staff, you know, hiring brand ambassadors that we would come up. Mm-hmm. So I started implementing all those things because, you know, I didn't, I, I had a, another retail job and eventually about four months into it, I quit that and just focused on Sunset House. So I would stay up until like three or four in the morning doing backlinks, doing blogging, doing all different things that I could find online to get our rankings up. And very quickly it started to work. I think it took about six months and then we were the top ranking for it. Oh, wow. So from that, we started getting a lot more inquiries. So they started coming in and then I started to see that nightclubs were really not the way to go. I mean, they were a good way to start, um, mm-hmm. but it was, it's, it's a, not the nicest industry. It's not very lucrative. And it's just not, you know, and as I matured, I wanted to move away from that. So Mm -hmm. the first inquiry that I had was from National Bank, from like a big company. And they wanted 40, I think it was, event staff for this event they were holding at the Hockey Hall of Fame. So I remember I went to their big office in downtown Toronto. And when I walked in, the guy looked at me and he said, how old are you? (laughs) <laughs> I thought I was going to die <laughs> I remember thinking like Damn, why can't I be older <laughs> and so I was so nervous and I was really 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 wanted this because at the time it was so much money to me I thought you know this would be the crossover and once I could have a big name to tie to us and so Anyways, I so I met with him and I had brought a friend of mine to come with me to pretend she worked with me <laughs> to make mm-hmm. it look like I was something more than just one girl working from her basement. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, I, I had another call with him afterwards and then I didn't really hear anything and I kept following up. And then a girl that worked uh, as a promo model for me, she said, hey, I saw this job posting. It sounds similar to the one you mentioned you were meeting about. And it was from another agency. And so I wrote him right away and I said, oh, I see that um, you are 
planning on going with this agency, but, um, you know, they're posting up ads all online trying to find the people. I've already got a great roster established. And he said, you know what? You're really eager, so I'm going to give it to you. Mm -hmm. So they changed it. They gave us the booking. And um, so, yeah, that was the first one that sort of crossed over into the corporate world. And then from there, I just kind of discovered that there were so many ways to take it. There's so many different avenues with staffing because you can staff for literally any industry in anywhere in the world um, that people might need. And once you have the recruitment process down and you've implemented all these different strategies to avoid, you know, the typical downfalls and troubles that you get with staffing, then you're good to go. So I just mm -hmm. worked on building the roster, building the name, building the social following, and trying to differentiate ourselves in any way possible. So because I was really big on social media, mm -hmm. because it was, it was free, we started to get a really large following. So from there, I could use that and leverage that when I would be bidding on a contract or just chatting with a client. I would say, you know, we promote our clients on our social media. We've got whatever we had at the time, 10,000 followers. Um, and it's a great added exposure for your brand. Right. So that was one thing. And then, yeah, and then as the years went on and we grew and I learned and um, I, I started to learn about experiential marketing. So when you see the people on the street, you know, handing out samples or they're putting on some sort of flash bulb or they're doing some sort of production, that's experiential marketing. So really immersing the customer into whatever the product is. Right. So typically with, you know, millennials, they don't watch TV, they're, they're gonna watch Netflix, so they don't see a lot of commercials, they skip any sort of ads. So it's really something that speaks to them. Mm -hmm. So I started to look into that and then we started to get into that and expand that and that was a whole new ball game and a whole new learning and building out the assets and building out the digital components. And so we launched that and then, um, yeah, I started to build the team of people that were already experienced in that area. And then it came to a point where I had such a large network and we started to win awards. And from there, I was meeting more people that people would come to me and say, you don't have so many great people. Could you hook me up with someone? <laughs> <laughs> so I would say, sure, you know, I, um, I'm having this event. I'll introduce you to some people there that I think you might get along with. And so people were meeting and they were staying together. So I had introduced these two friends and they ended up going on and getting married. Oh, wow. So then from then, at their wedding, everyone was saying, you know, how'd you meet? And they're saying, Emily, blah, blah, blah. So then I was having strangers contact me <laughs> <laughs> and saying like, oh, I hear you know everyone. Did you introduce me to someone? So I looked into matchmaking and I saw, I saw that there was, you know, Millionaire Matchmaker with Patty Sanger in the States. And there was a few things here. But as I looked into it, I saw that a lot of it was very scammy. So they took people's money and then they never heard from them. So I met with some right. different people that had used it and it was all a very similar story that, you know, when they take people on, then they start looking for someone. So I thought, well, I already have all these people. I already know so many people. I already have a huge social following. So I launched Lines Elite and that is a luxury matchmaking agency. So we work with all different types of people. Um, usually it's professional people that are just too busy uh, to find someone or a lot of people that are in an industry where they can't be on dating apps. So politicians or recognizable faces like uh, some actors, professional athletes, some successful authors, um, and they come to us. And so we sort of take all that groundwork out from them. Mm -hmm. And instead of you know, going to all the dress rehearsals, they just sort of show up for opening night. And we've got it all done for them. And that's, that's been awesome. a totally different uh, ball game. I mean, obviously, I'd love some Patel and I love uh, it's my baby, but it's it's a whole other thing when you can give someone their life partner and their their happiness. So that's right, that's a big deal. An amazing experience. <laughs> um, and uh, a lot of the people that were with me now, because I started them until ten years ago, have gone on to professional careers. Um, you know, they they're in marketing or whatever. They've retired from modeling and events, and so a lot of them will then sign up for Lines Elite. Mm -hmm. So we've got a constant flow of people coming in. And then with, um, we did uh, the opening one night for TIFF in Toronto, Toronto Film Fest. And we had 
the models, we were doing a fashion show for Calvin Klein. And afterwards, a bunch of the models had allergic reactions. Oh, wow. Their eyes started swelling up. So the next day, you know, one of the girls had to go to the hospital because the swelling was so bad. I asked the makeup oh, artist, what did you put on the girls? So we went through it and they had used a lash adhesive that um, is sold everywhere and it contains formaldehyde and ammonia. Oh, so formaldehyde, wow. is, yeah, you can't put it on your skin and you can't put it on your eye. But it's mm-hmm. because of legalities around the cosmetic industry, you can get away with pretty much putting anything in cosmetics. It's really the consumer's responsibility to do the due diligence around it until something mm-hmm. like a lawsuit happens. So I tried to find a formaldehyde-free version for my for the future events, and I found one, but they had just replaced it with another toxic chemical. So as soon as I typed in this chemical, it said, like, do not apply to skin, do not put in your eye area. Mm. <laughs> so <laughs> no, I, uh, it's funny you're pointing that out because when I used to do aesthetics, and especially when we were doing lash tinting and eyebrow tinting, the containers say, do not um, use near the eye. But I'm like, this is <laughs> yeah. made for, the, that makes zero sense. Yes, it's it's insane. <laughs> so then I I thought, okay, well, I wear lashes all the time, and I don't want to be putting this on my eye. And I freaked out, so I thought, I'll I'll see if I can what it would cost, or you know what it would do to develop a formaldehyde toxic free version that's just natural. And mm-hmm. once I started getting into it, it became a whole project. And then I ended up finding a chemist, and we collaborated on it. We developed True Blue, so it's a completely natural lash adhesive, and it's made from a natural copy polymer and then we added some beneficial ingredients ingredients so we launched that a few years ago when it sold in target in the states and anthropology and urban outfitters and the detox market and then we sort of built other products to complement it so we brought on eco-friendly lash line and just other natural ingredients that are just really beneficial and it's been just sort of a, a, a fun passion project on the side without really um pushing it but it started just to, mm-hmm. to grow organically so we recently i brought on a full-time uh compounder she's from brazil and she lives in toronto now she's um specializes in organic compounding so she's working on developing new products for us and then we're building out a sales and marketing team and everything and going to start really pushing that as well so uh, i I love, you know, how your story has evolved and how you were able to create these different companies by really fulfilling a need um, that that you have. So I, I wanted to touch on the point where you spoke about um, when you were going to get into the event staffing and someone told you not to do it. Now, mm-hmm. 10 years later, you're a multimillionaire. Do you still speak <laughs> to that person? Like, how does he feel? It's funny because he was on an event that we had, we had planned the event and staffed it all. And it was a huge charity event. And one of my managers was there and said that he came up to her and said, Oh, I know Emily really well. I remember when she told me the idea and it was such a great idea. And he totally played it <laughs> off like he was supportive of it. <laughs> I thought it was hilarious. I, you know, I, I think it's, it's a, a great point for you to even make that, you know, you told someone in the industry that you wanted to get started and based on their perception of it, they tried to talk you out of it. You stuck to, mm-hmm. you know, your vision. You still went through with it. You became a successful multimillionaire at it. Um, it's just to prove a point that, you know, a lot of people listen to the wrong people and what would have or could have happened if you had listened to that particular um, person or, you know, that type of advice. Hmm. I mean, I think a lot of people think that they're helping and think that they're saving you from, you know, some sort of big loss or letdown, but they don't understand. So, I mean, exactly. he's in the industry, he's hired these agencies, but he's never run an agency. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's only, it's only impossible until it's done. So now to him, it's, it's a totally different viewpoint on it. Yeah, I, I, I always tell people, don't take advice from someone you're not willing to switch places with. So, you know, for for example, you know, if you are uh, looking for relationship advice, don't take that advice from someone who is always single. Or if you're looking for parenting (laughs) advice, don't take that advice from someone who doesn't have children. So, I mean, if you're looking to, you know, run a multi-million dollar business, don't 
take advice from someone who has not, you know, so it's, it's great mm. that you didn't. You, that's really good. <clears throat> I wanted to touch on, um, you know, so we, we both lost our sisters at around the same time. So I wanted you to speak oh, on wow. how that, how that, uh, yeah, I, I, I read that and I was like, wow. Um, you know, I, I connect with, with your story on, on that point there. So I, I know that losing my sister completely <clears throat> changed my perspective on life. So I wanted to speak yeah. on how that changed yours. Uh, so it, it changed everything. So it was in 2011. So I had started yeah, the company in 2009. And so it was about two years into it. And it was life altering. So in every aspect, um, it just kind of, it changed everything, how I saw everything in the world and how I made decisions and how I, how I lived every day. So, I mean, she was sick. She had cystic fibrosis. So both my siblings were born with cystic fibrosis and I was the middle child. So if you're, if you carry the gene, you don't know. So both my parents mm. carried the gene unknowingly. They had Julia first. She was very sick and they didn't know why this was in 83. And eventually they found out that it was cystic fibrosis. So oh, wow. if you both carry the gene, you have a 75% chance of having a child that carries the gene, a 50% mm -hmm. chance that the child will have the gene and a 25% chance that they have neither. And I was the 25%. So it just wow. completely skipped me. Um, and then I had a younger brother and he has CF as well. So he's 25 at the moment. Wow. So Julia was, um, she had had two double lung transplants um, a few years apart. And then so that year we had gotten a contract with Playboy. So they were doing um, an, a big anniversary event for the Playboy Bunny in Niagara. So they had booked out a casino there and they were flying in their VPs. So they had booked all the bunnies from us. So all of our, we had models dressed up as Playboy bunnies. <laughs> so I had gone down for the event and I was texting my sister from the hotel and she said, oh, like a home care nurse came in and she had had a cold and it got me sick. And um, so she said, so I've, I've been admitted to hospital. They're just going to do a tune-up and I'll be gone in a few days. And I said, okay, well, I'm coming back tomorrow. I'll come visit you. So I went down and I saw her at the hospital. And she was in okay spirits. And, you know, she said, if you could come back on Wednesday. This was Sunday. She said, and wash my hair and stuff. And, you know, if I'm still here and maybe paint my nails. And, which was funny because she was in the hospital. And I'm thinking, <laughs> where are you going to be in the hospital? So that was her. She liked to be. You know, dress mm -hmm. nice. And this was this was a part that was really really hard for me to get past. Was when I was leaving. Um, she said, "Oh, I want to walk you down. Can you just wait? I'll get the nurse to come and unhook my IV." And I said, "No, I'm kind of in a rush. You know, I want to get home." And I left. I couldn't have waited, and that was the last time I saw her. So if I could have wow. just waited, you know, two minutes so that my sister could walk me down to see me off. And I didn't because mm. I wanted to rush out of there. So then I got a call Monday night and um, she had gone into a diabetic coma. And because she was wow. uh, listed as palliative, uh, they couldn't, they weren't doing anything to bring her out of it. And so it was wow. just so shocking to me. Like why? So I rushed down there. I was in Toronto. This was in um, Brantford. So I rushed back to Brantford and I just, I couldn't understand, you know, why are you not doing anything? And yeah, she passed away at 3 a.m. in the morning. And from there, it was about six months of horror. I mean, I just, I couldn't do anything. I just, I couldn't stop crying. I couldn't, I couldn't eat. I couldn't, I couldn't function. So it was mm -hmm. June first she passed away and it got to... August and I was just a mess and I wasn't getting better. I was drinking every day. Um, and I tried to talk to some family members. I tried to say, you know, I think I have a problem. I don't think I can cope with the loss of Julian. And everybody said, you know, this is normal. You're fine. Remember I talked to my aunt and I said, I think I drink too much. And she said, oh, no, you don't, honey. You're fine. So anyways, I ended up going to CAMH, which is the Center for Mental Health and Addiction. And I went to the Emerge there and um, I said, you know, I think I need help. So I talked to someone and they ended up, I was there for a few hours and they just gave me some pamphlets and they said, you know, here's some resources and they sent me on my way. Again, the same thing. I couldn't eat. I, it just continued. And the resources mm -hmm. they had given me, unfortunately, weren't 
helping. So I went back again and I got a similar thing. So then September came and um, I hadn't eaten in two days. Oh, wow. And I went there and I said, you know, it was, it was a week before my birthday, my birthday, September 29th. So I went there and I, and I was just hysterical. And I said, you know, I can't eat. I'm just so physically sad. I felt it so much in my body and this, these pains in my stomach. Mm-hmm. Um, and I said, I, I need help. And the guy said, okay, if you're not eating, like you're, you're a danger to yourself. So we're going to admit you. So they admitted me to the hospital and I stayed there for a month. Um, wow. On an all women's floor. Yeah. And at the time I was once the reality of it set in like, oh my God, I'm in a mental hospital. What have I done? Mm-hmm. I was horribly embarrassed. And I remember calling my best friend. She was actually the first model I ever hired in 2009. Her name's Kirsten. And we became best friends. And uh, I called her and I said, you can never tell anyone ever that I'm here. Mm-hmm. Because I just thought like people would, nobody would work with me again. Nobody talked to me. Everybody would think I was crazy. I was nuts. I couldn't handle things. You know, mm-hmm. normal people can get through the loss of, of somebody. But, but why can't you? Like, what's wrong with you? And it was the best decision I ever made. I mean, um, just having someone, it was amazing. Everybody there was amazing. The nurses and the doctors and being able to talk to someone every day and I just, I, I had so much regret around it all. And just, I, I kept thinking in my head things that people had been telling me like, oh, she's in a better place. Um, mm-hmm. And I kept thinking, you know, like, if she's in such a great place, why don't I go there? You know, mm-hmm. what is the point of all this? I've spent the past two years killing myself to try to make something of myself. And why, you know, to, mm-hmm. to just for life to end. I'd lost all purpose. And it, it gave me back that purpose. And I came out of there as a new person. Um, and I was able to really take new risks. So I thought, you know, life is short. Go for it. Yeah. And that yeah. was when things changed. Um, and I sort of had this 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 drive to, to live for the both of us. And I thought, life is going to be short. I'm going to take her with me. Um, and we're going to do it. Um, And so things that I was really hesitant on before, you know, because I had started with no money, any of the little money that I had made, I squirreled away. Mm -hmm. I went and I started taking big risks. Um, And some paid off, some didn't. (laughs) I'm listening to you tell your story. And here's the thing. Okay. I'm, I'm, okay. So I've been okay. And I'm, I'm going to say, okay, because I can talk about, the story of losing my sister and not crying get emotional, but I'm listening to yours and I'm actually holding back tears because it's so, so similar <laughs> to, to oh my, my story and my experience and the difference that it, that it's made. So I was, I was waiting for you to, you know, finish. I'm listening to every single piece and I'm thinking, wow, you know, um, <clears throat> So my sister passed away um, a year from the time that yours did. So my sister uh, passed away in in July of 2012. Um, You know, it was uh, a Sunday when I got the the last text message from her. (laughs) Um, You know, I'd gone to church with her that morning. Um, She was having trouble breathing. Uh, I had to deal with some issues with my ex-husband at the time. He wasn't returning my son home and... Um, I left and she texted me, my mom took her to emerge and she said to me, you know, they're, they're just going to keep me overnight for observation. So I'm like, okay. Why was she having trouble breathing? Did she know? No, it was super hot that, that summer. And I was like, have you developed like asthma? Like what's going on? Um, there was, they didn't know why, to be honest with you. She had, I think, uh, about a month or so previous had been in the hospital to remove uh, fibroids in her uterus. So I don't know if there was any connection, if there was anything, you know, to do with after surgery, I have no idea. So we had no idea why she was having shortness of breath. So when my mom took her to emerge, just to make sure that she was okay, uh, she said, yeah, they're just going to keep me for observation. And she sent me a text later that night saying that some tests show that, you know, she may possibly have, um, 
what was it? I think she said a, was it a blood clot? I can't, uh, like, my, right now, I'm, like, totally <clears throat> out of it now that I'm, I'm listening to your whole story. Um, <laughs> but long, long story short, I mean, she ended up, that was our last message to each other. I sent her back a message saying, like, I'm, you know, I'm exhausted from, from today. I'll come see you in the morning. And yeah. morning never came for her. She went into cardiac arrest um, at 6 a.m. That, that, that morning. And uh, she was in a coma for three weeks before um, they declared her oh legally dead. So after that, like you said, you said that six-month period, my, my grieving process, like if I didn't have three kids to take care of, I don't know if I would have made it. Um, the same thoughts yeah. that you talk about having, I, I had, like, what is the point? I don't want to be here. Like, you know what I mean? All yeah. of those same exact feelings. And I, I, I didn't, um, you know, have the, um, you know, the, the support of places like Camage that you mentioned. I had a very strong uh, support system of friends and actually people that I didn't even know, people that knew my sister that reached out after that to mm-hmm. make sure that I ate, that brought food, you know, that dropped off groceries for my kids because I couldn't function for six months. And I was at the time selling real estate full time. So my business completely uh-huh. came to a halt. Like there was no yeah. <laughs> biweekly paycheck of, you know, being off on sick leave. It, there was no money. Mm-hmm. Um, and after I came out of that six month period, I sat there and after having so many people message and reach out to me about what my sister meant to them, it made me think, what legacy do I want to leave behind? How do I want to be remembered? And that's when my life totally took, you know, a different direction on how I wanted to go thing, go forward because I carry my sister's spirit with me. So everything that I do, it's, I'm doing it for us. You know, I have these conversations where every time, you know, I, accomplish something or I'm able to bless someone else or, you know, anything great happens, I am like having this conversation with my sister, like of so, so you know, I'm, I'm trying to make her proud. So I'm listening to your story and I'm thinking, wow, like I see so many, you know, similarities. So I found too, like it, it just kind of changed what really matters in life a lot for a lot of definitely. Things, you know? A lot of the things most that definitely, was, most definitely, which was which was great. I mean, like, you know, like just even things like, do I want to be remembered for fancy clothes or for the amount of people who I was able to help with, you know, when they were in need? Yes. And so, yeah, it was a yes. big, it was a big shift for me, and and then I ended up after that happened, I ended up breaking up with uh, my long-term boyfriend because of the way that my mind was, was different. And I had become so involved in charity and helping other people and he couldn't understand that. Mm-hmm. So I ended up, yeah, moving on from that relationship, which was great now that I look back because it was totally toxic. <laughs> <laughs> totally understand. I, I exactly, I went through the same thing, so I won't even go there. <laughs> so I want to, I want to ask you like, what, what is your self-care routine look like? Um, I try to, I try to really put an effort into self-care because otherwise, I mean, there was a, a few years where it just went out the window and it still does sometimes. So I try to, to, to focus on that. I, I have a bubble bath every day, um, which I love usually at least one. <laughs> um, I like to, to read and I have three dogs. So I love in the summer taking them to the park. That's like, mm-hmm. I take them to the park. We run up through the hill and that's like my favorite part of the day. It's just, it's quiet. I like to go early in the morning with them and just kind of sit there and, you know, um, I eat chocolate every day. <laughs> I love it. And I've gone mm-hmm. through, you know, the, uh, the people say to me all the time, you eat way too much chocolate. It's not healthy. And I think, you know what? Life is short. I don't drink. I don't smoke. I don't do drugs. Let me have my chocolate. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like if that's my one, um, you know, bugaboo or whatever you call it then I think I'm doing pretty good <laughs> so, yeah. I agree with you and um, 
yeah, I just kind of, I, I find it's really hard for me to separate business from personal life. I feel like it's all intertwined and that I have a lot of, yeah, problem uh, taking time off because it's always in the back mm-hmm. of my mind. And so that's what my, my goal is this year is to, one of my, Kirsten, who I mentioned, my best friend, she's, um, she's worked in the office for several years, but she's just on mat leave with her second baby and she comes back in a few months. So I'm thinking when she comes back, I might try to actually take a few weeks off and just completely disconnect mm-hmm. and really establish a good daily self-care. Hmm. Yeah, I think, I, I think that's important. And I'm, but I mean, also you're, you know, you said it's a challenge for you to separate your business from your personal, but your, your business is all stemmed from your personal passions. So I can understand, you know, you, it's not like a nine to five, a company that you're working for someone else, something you don't enjoy. If you enjoy this and it stems from your passion and, you know, even the, the deeper reason your why for doing it comes from a deeper reason, then it's, you know, it doesn't seem like work. It's something you enjoy doing every day. <laughs> People would say to me a lot over the years, like, oh, you work all the time. And it would always be so surprising to hear because it never felt like I was working. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, yeah, I guess it's classified as work. Or let's say, like, what do you do in your spare time? And I'm always trying to try to think of something because <laughs> like, I work because I love it. Yeah, I love yeah. creating things and watching them come to life and building out these things and figuring out new ideas and it's just so much fun for me. I, I, I think other people should strive for that because we have a lot of people who are miserable and, and struggling with emotions and mental health because they are doing things that, that don't resonate with them. They're doing things that they're not in harmony with. So if you mm-hmm. see that you know, you're passionate about something, the, the reason why you're so content and why you don't have any other hobbies or, or things like that where it's all related because it's your passion. You're excited about it. You know, you're, mm-hmm. like you said, you're creating things, you're serving people, you're helping people, you're contributing to society. So there's all of these positive emotions and feelings connected to it. So, you know, it's, it, it, who wouldn't want to live that way? And my favorite thing about it all is just the ability it's given me to be able to help my family and just so many people that have come along and come in and out of my life. Um, and just like those, like yesterday I got a letter from a CF patient, you know, that I changed her life and um, she'd been able to, because of the support that we gave her, because we, we financially support different CF patients that are going through, um, whether they're waiting for a transplant or they're waiting to go through an experimental treatment. So with transplants, um, you have to be within a certain distance of the hospital performing the transplant while mm-hmm. you're listed. Right. So unless you live in the proximity of it's, I think it's an hour and a half drive you have to be with them, then you have to relocate. So um, like one of the girls that we are currently sponsoring, Natalie, she's from North Bay. Her and her mom had to move to close to the, to the GTA. Mm-hmm. So now her and her mom can't work. Or, you know, it's been months now. They have to, an added expense of a, of a whole other place now because they have their home back home. Now they have to rent a place. Right. They have all the other expenses. So they, they approximate that it's about an extra $45,000 a year to be on the transplant list. And this is life-saving wow. transplant. Wow. Um, like she's, she's got like, I think, 20% lung function left. And she's only like 22 years old. Oh, goodness. So, I mean, so we, we sponsor people like that, but yeah, the letter I got yesterday from one of them was just, you know, something that it's just like, you know, I break down crying and mm-hmm. it's just like, it just makes everything, anything worth it. It's like, and, you're, you know, you're it's making something. an impact, you're making a difference. And that's definitely one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on the show, because, <clears throat> you know, a, a lot of interviews for women who are successful are focused mainly on their businesses and just the success of it. But I love to hear your story behind it because once we can get to know you and your, your reasoning and your why, you know, we, we want to be a part of that journey with you. We, we can see your vision, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I have a question for you. Um, You know, what are three things that you do in the morning to ensure you have a successful day? Well, um, generally, I 
we'll go to the gym. Um, I'll get up and I'll go just for a, a short. If I'm tired, I just do a walk on the treadmill. Mm-hmm. Um, if if I'm got energy, I'll do just a 15, 20 minute run. I just find that it just gives me so much more energy. And I, I hate going to the gym. <laughs> I force myself because I just feel so much better. Um, mm-hmm. And then I have a shake. Um, so because I'm not very good in the mornings, I, I, I usually roll over and we'll start my emails. And then one thing leads to another and it's two o'clock and I haven't eaten. <laughs> so I try to avoid doing that until I've done these other things. So I'll make sure I have a shake where I put like oatmeal in it and um, just chock full of a lot of things. Like I'll put seeds in it for more fat and some coconut oil or whatever. So I, I, I know that I'm getting your nutrients. I, yeah, I was really deficient. Um, I found in a lot of vitamins and I did blood work two years ago. And one of the things that I was low in, the doctor said (laughs) malnutrition. Oh, wow. Wow. And I was so shocked. I was like, malnutrition. And I thought, well, I guess I don't eat properly. And my mom was always on my case. She's like, you'll go. Because when I visit her in Stratford, I work. She was like, you'll go until 3 p.m. without eating something. And then you just eat chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'll pig out at nighttime. But yeah, so I make a point to really eat very, very healthy and make sure that I'm eating a lot. Um, mm. I think I, I have, you know, a... Uh, fairly stressful personality I just am stressed by nature so I think I burn a lot of calories <laughs> so I, I you have I a mean, fast I can... metabolism yes <laughs> um, and then yeah so I think working out forcing yourself to work out and have a good breakfast is just super super important to have a great day okay so what would you say um has been the key to your success uh, perseverance for sure. I mean, there's been so many times where things have happened and I've thought, oh my God, like, how can I come back from this? This is it. This is the end. But just there's, I find with business, you know, being in so many different industries now, it all comes down to problem solving. I mean, mm-hmm. there's always going to be problems. It's just finding a solution. So maybe what I'm doing isn't working, but there's going to be another another way to go about it or another way to do it that is will be successful so I find just pushing through I mean luckily I've never had something or made some terrible mistake I mean everything I've done has been with good intentions I mean Mm -hmm. I I think there are obviously things that you can't come back from if you're you know (laughs) someone like Kevin Spacey or something Um, Mm -hmm. There's controversies like that, but things that I've had have been, you know, to me where I, I thought it was life ending have always been, you know, now that you look back at it, it's like, well, that was nothing. It was something right. small, but at the time I thought, you know, oh my God, how will I ever, like we had worked with this, this company years ago um, and they were a huge promoter and this was when we did all the clubs. So we, we staffed them with all their hostesses. We did, um, we would we would feel like when they needed more bottle service staff, we would do the go go dancers, we would do the the samplings, and we would have the girls, the beer girls, and things like that. So that was our bread and butter back then when I had, had you know two years into it. And there was this company, and this was before my sister passed, but she was she was getting sicker, so I was stressed, and I was actually visiting her at the time, and. They left this big club. They'd had a falling out with it. And the mm-hmm. club booked a lot of our girls. And they said, you can't work with them anymore, these two guys. And I said, well, why not? And they said, well, because we're not. So you can't work with them anymore. And I said, well, yeah, we can. And we're still going to work with them. Like, they're a big mm-hmm. client of ours. And I remember this guy screaming at me on the phone saying, how dare you? Um, you know, we introduced you to them to begin with. Um, you know, which it didn't matter. It was just their ego that they didn't want to mm-hmm. work with them because it didn't affect them in any way. Um, right. And he's saying, I'm going to ruin you. Nobody's ever going to work with you again. Um, you just watch and see you're done. Um, oh, wow. I remember, yeah, he was just a terrible person. And I got off the phone and I was just hysterical sobbing. And I thought, you know, I should just stop. What's the point? Um, 
And I just was, yeah, heartbroken because I felt like, you know, I was standing up for myself because I thought, well, why am I going to let this guy push me around? Like, who, who are you to tell me who I can and can't work with? Yeah. Because it doesn't fit your agenda and your decisions, you know? And I was very, I was still very timid, but I was still had, you know, that part in me that it's like, okay, you don't get pushed around. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it was just kind of, you know, like, am I making the right decision? Should I have just gone ahead with, because they're this, the biggest club promoter in, in Toronto and everybody knows who they are and they work with all the celebrities. And anyways, now this person, their, their business closed down. They had falling out with a bunch of people and they, they no longer exist. Um, <laughs> yeah, we went on to, obviously we <laughs> moved past it, but they ended up yeah having burning bridges with so many people and but I remember at that time thinking that this was it I was so heartbroken and just devastated and now Mm -hmm. I look back and it seems so silly now now you know that wouldn't even come up but then I thought you know I made a terrible decision I should have never done that I should have just respected them and now Mm -hmm. I think no (laughs) like absolutely (laughs) You go, girl. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but yeah, now okay. um, they're gone. <laughs> yeah, and, and you're still it, around, it, and you're still serving what, and making it, a difference. Kind of karma, you know, because I had good yeah. intentions, and their intentions were never good. Um, yeah. So, so I think it's just, yeah, uh, remembering that um, <laughs> it's not the end of the world. Mm-hmm. That's good. That's good. Okay. So before we go to the final segment of the show, tell people where they can stay connected with you online. So my social media is my Instagram is Emily Lioness. So L Y O N E S S. And I, I try to be fairly active on there or I have a Twitter page, which I don't use all that often, but I'm trying to, and that's <laughs> so M S S A T A L E. Um, they can follow Femme Fatale Media on Instagram. We've got a pretty large following on there. We try to post a lot of the events we're a part of. Um, yeah, we're on Facebook and under Femme Fatale Media. And Emily Lyons, I have a page on there as well. And I try to post a lot of the events and things that I'm a part of. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. So um, I came across this article um, <clears throat> that says that your favorite type of shoe says a lot about your personality. So (laughs) for years, (laughs) since I was, I don't even know, maybe probably since I was about 19, um, because I used to be a tomboy, so it doesn't make any sense, but stilettos (laughs) uh, have fascinated me. You know, I love to look at them in the window. I love to see them in the magazines. I just love stilettos. That's my favorite type of shoe. So I'm asking you, Emily, what is your favorite type of shoe? Is it a running <laughs> shoe? Is it a flat? Is it a heel? Is it a I boot, wedge? Uggs. <laughs> <laughs> I know they're not attractive, but I live in, I, in the summer. I will, even when it's really hot out, I will wear them sometimes. <laughs> I just find they're so comfortable and easy to put on. And if I go to meetings and I'm wearing stilettos, I try to put like a I, I try to stuff them in whatever my purse is so that I can quickly yeah. put them on afterwards. <laughs> okay. So, but I do love your... how stilettos completely change an entire outfit. They do. They, and they, yeah. if you know how to walk in them, they can change even your walk, the confidence in how you walk, your strut. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> okay. So you said a boot. Is that correct? Like a, any comfortable shoe, an Ugg boot. You know Uggs? Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, Uggs. I love Uggs. Um, I'm trying to see. Well, they they don't <laughs> specifically have Uggs. They have uh, they have. I also love running work shoes. I wear boot. running shoes a lot too. Let's see. Running shoes are goal oriented people. Oh. So there you go. Hmm, Very cool. <laughs> okay so for the final um part of the show um i usually just ask a couple of reflection questions and you say the first thing that comes to mind um in the interest of time seeing as we're a little bit over i'm probably just going to ask you one or two 
Sure. So let's see. Um, what have you become better at saying no to in the last five years? Things I don't want to do. Mm. Okay. Uh, name a book that has asked for a meeting and I don't want to go. I say no. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think in in business, I've I've seen a lot of people write on social media as of late, especially if they're, um, you know, startup businesses where they feel like they have to say yes to everything, or yeah. every appointment, and you don't. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. not everything is for you. So if it doesn't feel comfortable, don't don't do it. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so name a book that has changed or greatly impacted your life. Career Renegade by Jonathan Fields. Perfect. That's the one you talked about in, in the, when we first started, right? Perfect. Mm-hmm. So, Emily, I want to thank you for thank you so much coming on and sharing your story. Like, I, I appreciate you. I feel like I, I know you so much now. I have all these points. Where I'm like, oh, wow, I resonate <laughs> with that part of your story so much. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for telling me about your sister. I had no idea. Yeah. Thank you. I, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm sure for a lot of people that deal with loss, you know, that's not the, the first thing or the, the most talked about thing, but I, mm-hmm. I appreciate how you've implemented that into your, your life and your business. And although my sister <clears throat> for me is the core reason why I am who I am today, I honestly believe that if she was still here, I would not be the McKinney I am today because when she passed away, I was, you know, super introverted and then she spoke for me and I didn't want to be seen and I wanted to stay in the background. And, wow. you know, I, I had a mouth, but I didn't use it. <laughs> so, yeah, that's you know, amazing. so yeah, but I, I, I love your story and I love how you are so passionate about everything that you do that you've turned them all into a business and how <laughs> you, you've dedicated your life in memory of your sister and serving and I I am mm-hmm. honored to have you on the show so thank you thank once you so again much. thank you to all of our guests until next time download the A Walk in My Stilettos app subscribe to our newsletter at awalkinmystilettos.com make sure you subscribe to the podcast leave a review share your thoughts what do you think about Emily's story what do you have to share and if you have any questions please share to continue to walk in greatness in your stilettos in a manner worthy of your calling.